Everyone ready? I'm ready. excited about this. This one's been postponed twice, you know, but I'm glad that we finally got it. I'm at Tubbs, the ultimate bath store. And to the right of me, I've got Sonny. My name's Sonny Mundi. I'm part of the ownership of the company. Main position here is currently the strategic planning for the corporation in the direction that we're going. To the right of me, I have Frank Kong. Cone. <laughs> to start this right, Sonny. See, we got our first argument. As nice as as nice cream cone. Frank Anyways, Cone. My Pro name is Frank Cone. I'm the president of Cone. Construction Limited. I've been in business since 1969. I also host the Home Improvement Show on News Talk 1010, which I've been doing for the last 19 years. To the right of me, we have... It's interesting. You've been in construction longer than I've been alive, and normally that's not the case because I'm always the old guy on site because I deal with a lot of millennials. They still yeah. don't realize that there was movies made in the 80s and 70s. Were there? Oh, yeah. They think everything's all from the 90s, including music. <laughs> but so now I feel good that somebody good. else I'm is here that's here. a little older than me. I'm excited about this. Uh, I, I want to get right right into let's talk about construction let's talk about the industry let's talk about where we're coming from as contractors as suppliers let's talk about the clients we want to talk about the clients any thoughts you guys want to throw right into the bag right now you want me to go first <laughs> yeah i could spend two hours talking about my clients and, two days probably oh and probably the best thing i ever did was taking courses on how to deal with people in terms of different personality types especially we had one seminar there's what they call the tiger owl lamb i think there's one more in there type personality and learning how to recognize what type of personality you have in front of you makes it a lot easier dealing with the client you're talking about yourself as well too oh well, always that's always part that's a of factor it. as well when you're yeah. dealing with clients right because if you've got a client who's what i would call a bold personality he doesn't care about all the fancy frills and all the stuff that goes behind it he's just looking at what it's going to cost numbers you look at someone who's got a lamb personality that's more like i think they say teachers and people like that fall into that category they're going to smother you in paperwork and five billion questions before before they even look at the numbers you look at the tiger personality they're more interested in all the frills and what it's going to look like and all the fancy stuff and they're not again as concerned about some of the their other options so again learning how to recognize who's in front of you when you're trying to sell a job or work with someone once you finally have it makes it a lot easier dealing with that that's person. really interesting i wonder what kind of personality i am again the sense that i'm a bit of every one of them depending on the day of the week you almost have to be you have to be adaptable because yeah. if you want to get a job or keep a client you have to almost have the same sort of personality because then you get along a lot better you recognize someone doesn't want all the fancy wordage behind it when you're talking to them you adapt their personality as opposed to them sitting there bored while you're going through this long spiel that they don't care anything about are well, you the same way sonny like when you got clients coming in here and they're looking for things are you kind of assessing them trying to figure out what kind of people these are i think in sales that's part of the game i've never taken any formal sales training i find myself as a person very adaptable so when someone comes in they're really hyper you tend to sit back a little bit when someone is coming in and they're really engaging you become very informative when somebody comes in and they're overly shy, they're confused, they don't know what to do, you have to take a little bit more of an assertive role and define what you're looking for. These are your options. This is where you're at. It allows you to get through the sales process. A lot of our guys here 
Some of them are formally trained, some of them aren't, but they are very adaptable. What is the ultimate end game here, guys? I mean, like when you're dealing with clients, working with them, and you're dealing with clients selling them product, it's not really about the sale, right? Because, I mean, we're in this industry for the love of the industry, but is it really about the sale? Personally, building beautiful things and being involved in a project, that is what gets me. That pat on the back. The images, the the overall design, the customer satisfaction, the happiness, the years of happiness and enjoyment that's going to come out of that particular job. Every job that I've ever been on, either on the construction site or on from re- uh, from the retail standpoint or from the wholesale standpoint, been in physically. I've gone in. I've always taken a look. I've given my ideas. I've worked through these problems with the clients just to make sure that when they're done, they're, they're truly happy with what they have. Yeah. I have clients that come in even 20 years after the fact and tell me, we're not in that house anymore, but we're renovating a new one and I want you to help me. I'm not even on the sales floor anymore because I'm more in a strategic position. But I'll take the time, I'll go out there, I'll guide them through, and I'll help them. Because that, that customer satisfaction truly means more than, okay, I, I, I shipped a toilet today. And one-off sales, it, it doesn't bring you lifelong customers. No, you can't treat you it that way. Kind of joy. Yeah, you can't treat it that way. you got to treat it differently. You don't get yeah. a thrill out of shipping a toilet out the door anymore? <laughs> oh, I'm surprised. No. I thought it would be the highlight. No, that is not my... <laughs> I'm surprised, Sonny. So I'm, curi- <laughs> I'm curious, Frank. I yeah. mean, you've been in the business a long time. How have you seen it change through the decades? We're talking 70s, 80s, 90s, and now we're into the 2000s. What are the dramatic changes in this industry? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the type of construction that's being done and the scope. 50 years ago, before all these new subdivisions were built, we're dealing with the older, typical downtown Toronto homes. The product in these homes were designed to last for 100 plus years. You're looking at bathrooms that are 100, 150 years old. There wasn't the knowledge in terms of upgrading wiring and everything else. Now, you fast forward today, the homes that are being built today are probably designed to last before you have to renovate them for 10 years, if you're lucky sometimes. Well, how long are those houses going to last in general? I mean, they're never going to become century homes. They're probably going to be torn down or need major structural or major anything. A lot of the houses that we're dealing with now, because I'm now no longer working in Toronto, I'm focusing more Mississauga and West, they're all the newer homes. And we go to renovate those homes. It's no longer a matter of doing usually one room. It's usually we're ending up gutting a good percentage of the house. What's new the windows, reason? new floors. Because new the windows trim. are failing. Everything's windows failing. are failing. The floors are garbage. The way the houses were constructed is just abysmal. Warped framing. Like we're just doing a bathroom right now. We had to replace most of the Dubai fours in the bathroom because they're all twisted like pretzel sticks. But isn't it true that these homes can't be built the way we used to build them back much older today because people can't afford the way it's supposed to be built so then we build it to the bare minimum of what they can afford which is what the, the maximum that it could be built badly yes that's the theory right definitely so you get people families coming in there and they're living in there and they'll probably be at the most two decades in there and then mm-hmm. they're like we've had enough this house is falling apart we don't want to take the bill to make this better the other thing i find which surprises me is i've done a lot of work on homes that have been custom built and you think a custom built home you wouldn't have those problems but we go in there and we still find the same things we start stripping things down and what's behind all the fancy drywall and everything is this absolute garbage the other thing we're finding you're talking building envelope garbage is that what you're talking about well i'm finding terrible framing flooring i mean these are homes that are super super luxury homes structural issues through through 
right. structural issues, just general construction methods still aren't up to what they used so to be. So those are just bad builders taking a big chunk of money from a custom brand and building a luxury home for somebody, but not putting it into the house. No. You know, the market itself, though, is very superficial. I yeah. bought a house that was built in the 80s, and it was the designer model home for the, the subdivision. And when I went to renovate it, I have a habit of ripping it all out and starting, because as soon as I find one problem, it, it sets my radar you off. You can and assume I, I there's several problems. So there was a skylight in the front entry. It was a cathedral ceiling. It was beautiful. There was a, the master bedroom was over the garage, so it was huge. It was 400 square feet. This was out in the suburbs. When I took that house apart, what these guys did is they took a standard stick frame, took a sawzall, cut a lot of stuff out, and just packed on really? new parts to a house. Yeah, I see lots of that. I mean, it might not have failed today, but for example, the cathedral with the skylight in it, I had to wedge that back up and reinforce it with two by 16s so to make who, it. So who do you blame here? Do you blame the subcontractor that did the work? You blame the GC that managed the work? Do you blame the client that didn't want to pay for the work? All of the above. Because you blame it all filters down. If someone doesn't want to pay to do it properly, then they're going to hire someone who'll do it as improper. If a client 100%. hires me to do a job and they won't do it the way I want to do it, which is the proper way, then I just don't take the job. So I don't have, I have a very select clientele now that I'm working for because obviously it's getting harder and harder to find people who want to pay to do the job properly, not just for the cheapest price. But these clients are also willing to spend the money and the time and the effort on all the luxury aesthetics. Yes. The definitely. finished material. They really don't care about the bones of the house. That's just a fact, right? But they, superficial. Some do. Some do, but the majority of it to create a stereotype don't. So they don't care if the house starts to fall apart because the foundation wasn't done right, the framing wasn't done right, the insulation wasn't done right. But we all know, the three of us and everybody that cares about this industry, is that those are the things that you need to actually spend time and money on because you don't want to change those later on. Those are going to be expensive. Well, who wants to spend money on something you don't see? This is the big problem. And the I consumer do it. Isn't I'm sure you do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we do it, yes. but clients don't want no. it. But I they'll mean, spend 10000 bucks on a granite stone kitchen. I run into this all the time. They got a leaky basement. They want to finish the basement. Well, it's going to cost you 20, 30 grand to fix your foundation. They don't want to do it. They want to do something cheaper so they can do exactly like it. Then they've got the 10 grand, 15 grand for their fancy granite, fancy taps and everything How do you else. react to that, Frank? How do you react to the point where you're working with clients and everything's going well and all of a sudden they want to start pulling back and then you get wind. We really want to buy a wolf range. We really want to buy a Viking fridge. So you basically want to buy two cars for your kitchen, but you want us to save the money on the really important parts of this house. How do you react to that? It's not an issue for me because I tell my clients before I start the job, I interview them very thoroughly and I know or I have a good idea of what it's going to take to fix this properly and I tell them right up front. I also do not give fixed prices. I give them a rough budget so that I'm not getting into a position. If I go fixed price and I find something major wrong, well, I'm not going to get paid for it. So I'm just going to bury it like the last contractor. Sometimes we get surprises and the clients aren't happy. They've got to spend extra money to do it properly. But at the end of the day, and I've been very lucky, it hasn't been an issue for me. They still cough up the extra money. And then if they have to cut back at the end of the job where it comes with the fancy finishing, so then they're going to spend six grand instead of 15 grand on their granite or something. Well, then that's the way it works. How do you handle it? So like when you get a client that comes in here and I'm always amazed that when clients money comes up right off the bat, it always comes up. So the client will come to you and they'll say, here is our budget for our three piece bathroom. 
this is what we think it should cost. And, and my thinking is, how did you come up with that number? And the majority of the time is it's what we can get credit or we have in the bank. That's how we got to our number. We know how we get to our number because we actually calculate labor materials and the time and put it together. And that's how you run a business. So how do you take a client that comes in here with a very unrealistic budget for a three piece bath and get them to a more realistic budget? And so they can not feel like they were taken advantage of, but they actually got what they were supposed to get. The biggest thing is managing the expectation. Most of the time, those people come in here, they went and they're trying to get a loan to do a job. They got 30 grand, they're doing their bathroom. The contractor comes in, he gives them like 800 bucks total for the fixtures and the other monies for the labor. It, you'd be surprised at how often it happens. You getting one faucet or like... Uh, you one get a toilet seat the, for that, right? <laughs> a toilet seat, yeah. yeah. So customers will come in here with completely unrealistic expectations. And Where do they them, get those expectations? From the money? From the contractor most of the time. I hired from a the guy. From the contractor? He said, $30,000, I can do this whole entire bathroom. That's all I could get. So it starts with the money. But it's not that they didn't get the right amount of money. So he, they went, we got a $30,000 loan. I'm going to do my master bathroom. I'm going to do my main bathroom. Okay, 30000 sounds fair. So what's your budget for the fixtures? Well, my contractor told me that I have $300 for a tub. $300 for a tub. I have $100 for a toilet. I have $90 for a faucet. I have $200 for a shower faucet. And I looked at him and I what said... What decade is this? Like, what numbers are the these 70s. coming from? Yeah. Because that's what they were in the, in the 70s. But the contractor's looking at it as, okay, we're going to give you a $6,000... $5,000 fixture budget and the other $25,000 is for me and my labor and all the other stuff because that's the stuff that matters, right? They're taking the conversation you guys were having and, and flipping it in reverse. We're going to give you the best built bathroom so you don't want to, you know, make sure you're not spending overly. We're going to give you better this and better that and re-drywall and in reality, it's fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 worth of work. The rule of thumb has always been 50-50, 50% on material, 50% I remember on that rule in the early days. Was it like that too for you, Frank? More or less. More yeah, or less. It, was, it hasn't similar. changed dramatically. It's very, I, I mean, it's a very rough budget that's what people were yeah. using it, it's been the rule that the industry's been guiding itself on it still currently is roughly the rule even though the materials on both sides have gotten more expensive the finishing material in the bathroom has definitely gotten more expensive. has it gotten more expensive or has clients have clients gotten more expensive taste it's the luxury aspect the they, everybody wants effect. like 10 years ago towel warmers heaters was not a standard heated floors was not a standard can you say HGTV? It's the HGTV. They effect. watch all these shows. They see all the fancy stuff. Do I want to say HGTV? Yeah, no. <laughs> and they get a false sense of they, what Pinterest, these I blame worth. Pinterest. I blame House. I blame HGTV. I blame all the morons on those shows and lying to the consumers. I blame all that. And then we, as the guys, are actually telling the truth are the bad guys. You yep. know, though, I don't overly blame them. They, they set the industry itself on fire. I blame the expectation that they set. First, you're watching the American shows and the cost structure is completely different in the US to Canada. So, oh, I can go and I can renovate this bathroom and it's going to look like this and it's $15,000 in material, US dollar. Okay, no problem. 30%. Tran translate that across by the time you get it across the border and the various taxes, it's not 15, it's 20. Mm. That's the reality of it. And people don't have that guiding uh, knowledge behind them. The other big thing is when they start coming in here, like I can build you a bathroom for four grand. I can build you a bathroom for 40 grand. Uh, the two of them might even look kind of the same, but they're not the same. You get lesser expensive tile, ceramic instead of porcelain, thinner material instead of thicker material, or thicker material instead of thinner material, depending on the type of technology you're talking about. You're getting pressure balance systems instead of thermostatic, but the trim plates kind of look the same. 
and they don't really go through any of that education with you on the show. They say, hey, this no. is a nice modern cabinet with a nice granite countertop. Okay, I can get you that same cabinet for $4.99. I can get you that same roughly looking cabinet, but it's got better hardware. It's actually granite or it's even better than that. It's quartz. Maybe it's 3CM quartz instead of 2CM quartz. Maybe I'm using Decton now and it's actually 8 millimeter material and it's the best of its class. Is that, is that a double edge for you here? Because I mean, I love walking around here and I love all the options because it's like grocery shopping. I went in just to get, you know, a handful of bananas and before I know it, my cart's full and I want everything that's in that cart. So when you get a client and they start walking around here, you go, yes, you can give them a bathroom that's $5,000. You can give them a bathroom that's $50,000. Once they seen the 50 version, are they locked in that version? And then all of a sudden they don't want to see the five anymore because they feel we compromise. Yes. So how do you get them? out of that and get them back into reality budget land back into managing the expectation so yes. when i deal with a client personally they come in with this three thousand dollar budget that their contractor gave them for a master bathroom and there's got to be a, a freestanding tub in there faucet in there there's got to be a thermostatic for shower three thousand dollars yeah it, it's unreal because the contractor is really trying to take too much of the pie he's yeah. not really leaving it so when the customer comes in i look at them and i'll go through the process I said those numbers aren't real you're gonna to have to need to go back to your contractor and you're gonna to have to have a little bit more of a conversation with them because really for the type of product you're looking for middle of the road is 15 to 17 thousand i can get you into 10 or i can put you into 50 but middle of the road at 17 odd you're going to have 80 percent of the options so you're not maybe going to be able to get the luxury something but you'll be able to get the luxury something else and you can compromise and play with your room to get the things that you want faucets with crystal handles really big in gold right now really hot really hot trend they look gold great is expensive. i love Crystal the way they look expensive. yeah for sure okay it's three thousand dollars for the faucet so instead of a five thousand dollar tub we can get you into a fifteen hundred dollar tub structurally quality wise they'll be about the same the biggest thing you're giving up on is an aesthetic on tubs curves strength in the tub straight lines are actually three times the material to make it actually stable so we'll take you out of a square tub and get you into a more rounded tub we'll be stable that way it'll it'll reduce the cost we'll change out let's say the tile instead of a 14 dollars square foot tile you bring you to a five or six dollar tile maybe it's the same type of career look but the pattern isn't as well defined or the gradient isn't as nice but you can still get a similar look because you wanted the faucet you pick one place and you kind of you kind of will they still it. be happy at that point or will they be uh we did not get what we wanted i guess it's, there's two schools of thought where are we renovating because we want to get out of this house and buy a better house? Are we renovating because we want to stay in this house and we want this to be my dream bathroom? I find with my clients, I would say 90% of them who come to me saying, this is our last house. And I'm talking about people who are even in their late 30s, early 40s. They're going to cart me out of here in a pine box. We're going <laughs> to do what we want. We don't care whether the next people like what we've picked. This is what we want, and they're prepared to spend it. In my that's eyes, that's line. how a renovation should be. Yeah. You should always treat it that way. Don't treat it like you're going to put a for sale sign as soon as the rental's done. You don't get your money back anymore. There was a time you almost had to renovate if you wanted to get a decent amount of money back. But with the way the market is, at least in the Toronto area, because of the demand, it almost doesn't matter what you do. You're still going to get all your well, the, the next homeowner is going to benefit, not you. Yeah. That's the reality. Right. Of it. Assuming they don't rip out everything you've just done. True. And I see a lot of that. Someone will spend a fortune renovating the house so they can sell it. And what happens, the people move in and they just bought the house because it was in the right area. Maybe it was the only thing that was on the market. They don't like what's inside there. So they rip out everything you've just done because you've made it too personal. I usually tell my clients, do what you want. However, just try and keep in the back of your mind when it comes to resale. If you go a little too 
off-key or bizarre may hurt resale a little bit, depending upon what the market is. Now, I want to say something about what Sonny was talking about earlier when it comes to expectations. I have almost an opposite problem. First of all, when I'm selling a client a job, I break down the entire job line by line so they can see why it's costing what it is. And for instance, faucets, and I have this one great story I love to tell. I think I'd allowed $400 for each bathroom faucet, which knowing what tub sells, I knew I could get a good quality that's product. A that, that's price a reasonable price yeah. fa- for a good faucet. That's yes. not low. That's not ultra high. Right. That's a good price. There were these two women who had bought a townhouse and they each had their own bathroom and they had, I think we had a budget of about 25, 30 per bathroom. Well, we came in here. Including sh- fixtures. That was to do it completely. Complete. Okay. Each bathroom. We come in here and I'm showing the faucets I recommend and I've probably done them in about 80% of my jobs. And right next to them, were $1,200 faucets. Well, one of the girls says, I know it's not in the budget, but I don't care. (laughs) That should be a t-shirt. Yeah. So (laughs) her friend thought, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm I'm going to do that. So within a span of an hour, we went and doubled the plumbing budget before we walked out of the store. Now you didn't increase the budget, so where's the money coming from now? Well, I work on cost plus 20. I'm a little different. I have an open book policy. I tell my clients they can see every invoice and I do a standard 20% markup no matter what they buy. So I'd allowed 400, so I said, fine. You want $1,200 faucet, that's fine. When you get your, and I bill them every week so I don't get behind, so I make sure I'm keeping paid. That week when I picked up all the stuff, instead of having $800 plus for the two faucets plus my 20% in taxes, there was $2,400 plus my 20% markup of taxes. And they wrote out the check and no problem. I have more of a problem keeping my clients on budget. I would say a good percentage of them, by the time they really get into it and they get used to spending the money and feel more comfortable, always go way over budget. They just do. But that's the nature of renovations. It's always been. As an industry, see clients that come in here and it's the same thing. I have $5,000 reasonable budget for this particular room. But what I picked now is $20,000 worth of stuff. And we have to find, as a supplier, we have to find the way to... Okay, Bring them back. We're going to give up this and give up that. And we're going to sub in this and sub in that. Your look is almost the same. And it's kind of like that the high profile price version versus the affordable version. And you're looking at the two images and they're kind of close. And you have to steer them that way because you can easily take them right off. Because it's really not about the selling and pumping you full of more, more product. Yeah. It's about getting you the thing that you can that you like, that you can afford. When it goes in, it's not going to fail on you. You can count on it for We used to say 25 years, but now we say 15 years because people change. People want to change a lot sooner, right? It's not that they're failing. They just want to change it sooner. You'll change it before it fails. So is it fair to say that when you meet clients right off the bat, you should already have this realistic expectation of what the budget's going to be. And if you start seeing certain items that I've given you a budget of 400 for, but then you pick something that's 1200, then your 25 just turned into 30. And your 30 can turn to the 35 and just start that conversation right out of the gate. Oh, I do that right off the bat when I'm interviewing customers. Actually, I always start when they call me at the very beginning. Okay, we'll just keep to bathrooms as for examples. They want to do a master bathroom. I tell me, what's the size of the room? Is it a separate tub and shower? And how big is the vanity? And based on that, I can tell them, okay, for a bathroom of this size, at the low end, you're 35. At the high end, if you don't go nuts, you're at 50. And I tell them, it's up to you whether you want to stay on budget. And I even tell them, most of my clients, once they get into it, end up going way over budget. If you want to go over budget, I have no problem, but just make sure you've got the funds to cover it. 
and when they come in here to tubs to buy the fixtures and they're looking at stuff's more expensive they get tired of me and tell me to stop saying budget 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 but i'll keep saying it to them over and over so i'm you covering my to. own ass yeah so they don't get mad at me when they see where the costs are going this isn't like uh price is right and you're just going down to the showcase and you're choosing everything and you don't care about the number yeah. like it's just you, th these numbers need to be attached somehow and that extra cost is not going to come out of your labor costs no. or you're running a business cost and it's not going to come out of your you're like sonny you're not going to take all of a sudden sure it's a 1200 dollars faucet i'm going to give it to you for 500 bucks not Feasible. that's not how it works in business i mean generally you guys have your markup and contractors have our markup and also those items could also be more time consuming labor intensive and prep uh, you know consuming so all of a sudden that costs more money so it's not just a matter of i bought a 1200 dollars faucet i need to set it up more so it costs more it's also the warranty some of my clients for instance want to buy all the fixtures and I say, no, you buy anything, I'm not touching the job. Because if they buy everything and we damage it when we're putting it in, I'm liable. So I say, no, I'm supplying everything. And obviously the more expensive the product, the bigger my liability is. If I buy, say, a $4,000 tub from Sammy, from Sonny, sorry. And, <laughs> well, he uh, messed up you your name at purpose. the beginning. Yeah, oh, okay, so, I did that on purpose, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the vodka you put in my tea here. Then, you know, if I damage it, then I'm on the hook for that. So how do we, I, I, this is, a, and I had this conversation last night, actually, with another builder, because he called me up about a question. And uh, I said, basically, the end of the conversation was, I fucking hate clients. I just so fed up with it, right? And I just said, how do I, how do I educate clients? How do I make clients understand where we're coming from as professionals? How do I do that? And he just responded by saying, if you figure it out, Manny, let me know. Retail is, is, is got to be the worst business to be in. Uh, my family's been doing it now for 30 years. Hopefully, we'll still be doing it in 30 years. The biggest issue we face is exactly that. The biggest transition we're going through right now is dealing with exactly that because everyone can pick up their phone and go on Amazon and order something and who knows if it's right, who knows if you can return it, who knows anything about it other than it shows up and here, put it in. Oh, other than the number is exactly right to what they want to pay for it. My $1,200 faucet was... 1149 but what shows up might even be the right product right i ordered this faucet i saw it at tubs i saw it on the internet there was a 30 dollars price difference so i ordered it on the internet what part's missing what's missing who's going to service it who's going to take care of it who's going to tell you if that was even the right thing to buy in the first place you know you were talking about the margins earlier the point of retail is to make sure that you get the right item the right package the right grouping of product to work for your lifestyle for your ideas for your your personal desire as a company we're having to go through that change now and it's it's not easy it involved us actually taking everything that we've been doing for 30 years apart analyzing every little component of it and figuring out how to put it right back together that's what i like about suppliers like you guys and and you know this too right frank yeah. it's just you built these relationships over the years if an item does for whatever reason show up and there's something wrong with it we know we can make a phone call, we can send an email, we can have a conversation, and we go, listen, there's something wrong with this product. And you as a supplier is gonna turn around and go, no problem, I'm gonna order you another one, you're gonna get another one, you return the other one, and it goes back to the vendor and that's it. Clients don't know that this could, these relationships, we built them, we built them for this reason. We want, the ball's gonna drop, and we wanna be able to go back to the supplier and pick it up. One of the reasons why I deal with tubs, and I'm not saying this, you guys don't pay me. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of plumbing men. <laughs> I don't see any suppliers. money on the table right now. No, I'm Nothing looking, at no, all. No checks. <laughs> I've dealt with a lot of big companies in the past, and my biggest concern was they're quick to sell me a product, but when there's something that goes wrong with it, I have
have all sorts of issues. I found with Tubbs, especially because I deal a lot with Pierre, who's your general manager, and yep. he is just mind-blowing. <clears throat> He's phenomenal. I come in here with a problem. It gets taken care of immediately, be it a repair work, replacing it, or I know we had one issue. You guys were custom-making some faucets, and they were design flaws, so we took the product, they redesigned it, and gave it back to me, solving the problem, and I've never seen any other supplier do that before. But that's the respect that you want, and this is the relationship that we've built, but the clients are not aware of this because they're so fixated on that number that they found online. Exactly. Now, our contractor program, which is what Frank is referring to, is what we've turned around, retooled, and then expanded to include everybody. Customer service element is actually changing on, on a front forward basis. So you have a problem, you're going to be able to come in here and you're going to get it resolved. Our ability to turn around, deal with customer issues, uh, we'll have a full-time service rep on the road handling these kinds of issues. So actually, I'm making your life even easier. Good. Um, <laughs> that is the, the point that we're pivoting it on. The only way to really survive in retail now is not actually to be in retail. It's to be a service provider where retail is a side element of the business. The customer training, the contractor training, the A&D training, CEU training that we're going to offer going forward, events that we're going to host here revolving around product training, installation, design. That's a very central focus to how we're moving forward and how we're dealing with a those expectations of clients coming in we're blowing their mind not really understanding how a, a budget's supposed to work and be really managing the contractor and the trade side i can't tell you how many plumbers i've run into they'll bring me back a 1500 dollars thermostatic valve tell me it's a piece of garbage i want that 89 dollars moen valve i mean that logic doesn't make sense how is that i don't understand that moen is simple right two in two out there's nothing to it. Thermostatic involves volume controls and multiple heads, and they, they oh, didn't some of budget this new for it. stuff that you're selling is really, really complicated. And I know one thing I will say that I'm not happy with, and I think Pierre says they're trying to rectify that, is the instructions that come with some of the products, and not just with you guys, with all the products we deal with are just terrible. Either they've been translated from other language into English, or even if they started off in English, they don't properly give who's ever installing it proper directions on how to install it. They're horrid, actually. Yeah. The install manuals that come in construction in general are horrid because they're designed... Well, that's why I've seen every trade always grab the instruction manual and throw it out and look at the product and figure it out based on their experience, how to put it together. And when it doesn't work out, then you call customer service and ask them, I missed a step maybe. I'm not yeah. exactly sure. We've actually gone now and spent the last six months doing and probably another three more months doing creating our own in-house instruction manuals for most of the products that we sell. The most complicated ones are always the shower systems because it's the one that really isn't straightforward. Yeah. Thermostatic the valve jets comes and in the four. And the head sprays and all the different valves and the slide bars and it gets really complicated. You have all those shower heads, valve only with separate shutoffs. You have valve with built-in shutoff. You have valve with a built-in diverter. You have valve with a built-in diverter and shutoffs. And you're looking at this thing, okay, how does it actually operate? And they all serve different applications for, yeah. for a client. I get a pickup truck because I need to haul material. I might get a pickup truck because I like to go off-roading. I get a sports car, not for grocery shopping. So you got to make sure that the product suits the job, which is what we do. 
But then after the fact, you've got to make sure the trade can put it in. And some of this stuff gets It's funny you bring that up because clients will not go into a dealership and all of a sudden saying, listen, I need this sports car or I need this pickup truck to be modified so then I can get it to, and I can use it for this other purpose and all this other crap and shit like that. Why do they do it to us? I use my sports cars to go grocery shopping. <laughs> it's more fun than going in the truck, let me tell you. Until you load up the cart and you got to load up the car. Until it depends you find on a place the sports to put car it. you've got. Yeah, <laughs> I told point. you guys we were going to somehow get this into cars. I told you. I told you. We're a couple of carholics here, unfortunately. (laughs) You take your two-door and all your groceries end up in the footwell of the passenger side and you have to leave the girlfriend back at the grocery store, I guess. (laughs) Oh, no, you just don't have a girlfriend and it's not an issue. (laughs) Or she comes in her own car. So I've always had that problem where it seems like the construction industry is always being asked to modify to the client and but then the client will go to another industry to purchase something and they don't ask them to be modified. I think that's really the other industries conditioning the client we've turned around and told the client in our industry you can have whatever we want if you want to pay for it i will like frank said i will custom make you a faucet if you want it give me a spec i have manufacturers that will tool it for you i have manufacturers that will plate it for you i will get it to you it might take me 16 weeks to do but i can do it you can't really do that with a car okay you have the option of five colors some different rims and maybe you can get it with a sunroof unless you're going to a custom shop dropping this car off and telling them to rip it apart and put it back together you're not going to get that custom experience in construction we've been tailored to think that i can build it however you want it's just some stick it's just some screws It's a little bit of board and some plaster and some tile to cover it. Just tell me what you want. The problem is that we haven't also educated the client to tell them, like the car, if you go buy the $30,000 car and then take it to, I don't know, West Coast Customs and have them rip it apart and put TV screens everywhere, that's now a $150,000 car, not a $30,000 car. We haven't conditioned the client to say, this is a $15,000 room, but you want me to change this, take out that wall, put a beam in here, do this, redo the flooring, new lighting. It's a $50,000 room. It's now a a $50,000 or $80,000 room. And we haven't had that... I don't know, the, the, the intelligence to, to carry that message. So these the hard car. messages should start right from the get-go, they right have from to. the beginning. Because otherwise your expectations not managed. Meet the client, the what's hearts. your budget? That's not realistic. What are you looking for? This is realistic. This is may, where you may get off the rails and this is where you may end up. And that's your first meeting. This is why you have the fly-by-night contractor issue. Because they say yes, 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 no yes, problem. yes, yes. And all of a sudden... Start, money runs out, I'm gone. Gone. New name on the side of the pickup truck or side of the van. The magnet. The magnet gets the mag- changed. It gets changed, <laughs> and that's that's the reality of it. Then we get left holding the bag. Well, we bought the toilet from you. We bought the faucet from you. And you guys kind of said this guy was a good guy. and Yeah, and now we're, the, we're the bad guy. The whole industry is the bad guy. Of now. course. You know, I kind of like the bad guys because I get more people coming up to me, and it's usually someone who's been taken maybe once. They don't want to be taken a second time. That's when they start to listen. The first time, it's more of a tough sell. But most of my clients come to me, and the first thing they say, Frank, is we know you. We know you've been in business a long time, and I'm fortunate enough to have a bit of a reputation, some of it having to do with construction. (laughs) And uh, they listen to what I say. And the fact that I do say, if you want to see all the invoices, so you know you're not getting ripped off. They never ask to see it, but I do offer. I don't have any trouble selling them. Quite often, I can be the highest bidder. Usually, I'm the only bidder, but quite often, even if I'm the highest bidder, I still get the job because I can prove to the client I'm more knowledgeable in the competition. I walk them through every step so they understand why they're paying them more money. And once they see that, they usually, assuming they can afford it, 
don't have any problems. What about the clients that feel that they're more knowledgeable than you because they've watched all the shows and they've read all the blogs and they've uh, done whatever research they, or they listen to their family members or their boyfriend or girlfriend is a part-timer contractor on the side. I get that all the time. What about them? I just educate them properly or occasionally the client will come up with a point and sometimes they're right. I mean, we don't, nobody can know everything. Of course not. You're have, learning every yeah. single day. But I do feel strongly that I can say I know more than my clients. Yes. When it comes to construction. I have clients who will spend months researching certain individual products that they want. And it may be a product I've never seen or not familiar with. And they'll educate me on that product. And if they can convince me it's a good quality product and it's going to work, then fine. Let's get it and put it in. I don't have a problem with that either. I like new products. I like new ideas. I like seeing the evolution in construction. I totally like seeing that. So when suddenly you bring in new products, I want to see that. I'm dedicating a whole entire component of the showroom. Actually, that space. I walked in this morning. I've been here so many times. I walked in this morning. I saw your stand-up stainless steel outdoor shower there. Oh, it's it's wonderful. I'm like looking at this going. This is great. This is amazing. I'm like outdoor. Two bolts take off. Two quick releases. The whole entire thing comes off. Yeah, and you have an outdoor shower head, and it's stainless steel. It's amazing. I hate it when he brings in all these new products. I haven't seen because then my clients want, and I've got to figure out how am I going to install. Oh, that's I saw that thing. I knew exactly. Exactly how I, like I don't need the instructions. This whole entire section that's right here, just outside my office, it's actually being converted into a resource training center. Display is coming out. There's a couple uh, PCs, a printer, a, a screen that's going up there that's going to be loaded with how tos, install manuals, videos. This is for clients or for contractors or both? For everybody. For everybody. We're going to be able to host training seminars on new product. We're going to host new product releases. So clients won't, won't want to leave. My, that's my goal. Home theaters are going in. But the budgets are going to get in. so high. They're going to get nervous. That's okay. We'll, we'll roll, out, thing I'll you roll out a bed. They can sleep here <laughs> if they one need One thing that. you haven't done, and I know Pierre's followed some of my recommendations in terms of what you're doing here, is for a lot of the contractors who come in here, how about a manicure and stuff? A little section oh, where we can spa. sit back, get a little spa, because you know what we You know what? Frank's like. got a you very know? good point, because I've been seeing a lot of uh, sandwich <laughs> boards, and, you know, our MT, massage therapist, registered... That's I not would, even that bad of an that's idea. That's not a bad of an idea. In the middle of your workday, spend an hour, and while the clients are looking for products, the contractor is getting a massage. Like, I have a cafe going in here. That's amazing. Coffee, sandwiches, so that you can take some time tea. off and tea. I hate in your coffee. case, tea, yes. Yeah. I'm an espresso guy, so as long as you have that espresso, I'm good. You can sit here and even decompress. Actually, the middle section of the showroom right here in the front is converting into a community center. And it's not a sales zone. It's where people can go and get away from actually the industry. They, they need to do it. They're in it. They have no choice, but they need to get away from it because that's the nature of this. There's TVs. There's, like I said, there's some fireplaces going in. There's a home theater that's going in over here. You want to help them visualize their reno as best as possible before they actually pick out every product? Visualize. I want to hand walk them through the process. I want to decompress them when they need to the be The realistic process. I want to train them when they need to be trained. And I mean, that that's across the board. That's not just for our contractors. That's for our end user clients. That's for our interior decorators. That's for our interior designers. And even our architects that, that are using our facilities. We have a second floor set of offices that are going in specifically so that our contractors can come in here. Our interior designers, our decorators and architects can come in here, any of our trades, and get away even from the buying public. They can take their clients to a fully stocked design center with the tiles and with pictures 
pictures and with catalogs and with printers and places to sit. They can and smoke work a through. joint while they're up there and decompress. It's legal now. It's so, legal now. There you go. <laughs> so both of you guys, have you guys ever had a client come up to you and say, you know, that's actually a lot less than I thought it was going to be because I was thinking it was going to be this much. We get that. You guys get that? Because we're really good at what we do. We Put get the price that. in. Have Our, you gotten it, Frank? Very rarely. Actually, I've never, not once. What's it's just happened for the first time a few weeks ago, we're doing this huge house on Mississauga Road, which is all very high profile. And we were getting ready to, uh, I was pricing the kitchen for him and I had the prices already. I think the cabinetry was coming in my cost about 30 grand, which is for a big kitchen isn't a lot. And I said to him, what do you think the cabinets are going to cost? And he said, I don't know, $75,000, $80,000. And I thought, boy, I could have taken this guy to the cleaners. I showed him my cost was twenty nine five for the cabinetry installed, and he was just blown away. Generally, no, I don't run into Where that. Where do you get that number from, 75, 79? I don't know where he got the number from. But that's what he thought the cabinets were going to cost. I think that expectation is is out there. Most people, if you ask them nowadays what it's going to cost to renovate a kitchen, that's what they say, 50000 60000 uh, Number one room in a house. I argue, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to disagree. No, no, no. I argue. I, I think well, with your I, track record in the bedroom, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 personally, I personally would peg Master Bath as the number one room. Me personally. I agree, but I'm biased. I, Frank? I, I would put kitchen master bathroom as number one each. And this is what I tell people when I, they want to redo their whole house. I say the two things that are going to sell your house the most are the kitchen and the master bathroom. Well, those are the two rooms that I say, and I agree with you. It's almost like one and 1.1 kind of yeah. thing, right? It's because they're the two rooms that are the most functional rooms for your living arrangements. Although I see a transition in that. Two? Our home automation and our home theater division is going like... 10 years from now, that's going to be the norm. That's just going to be the norm. Everyone, it's not going to be a switch anymore. It's going to be a command center. It's going to be, that's just, everyone's going to want that stuff. I've seen it already. When we go into the big projects that we're specking, the bigger budgets, instead of being on kitchen and bathroom, they're all now going to technology. Home automation, centralized control, home theaters, audio equipment. I, I video love all equipment. that stuff. I love all that stuff. I'm starting to see houses that are coming through. We're a box retailer. We're, we're a high volume retailer. So we don't normally get those, those crazy jobs. We get the average ones. I'm starting to now see people specking $150,000, $200,000 budget oh, yeah. to put that in. It used to be five years ago that, okay, we're going to do a small home theater and a couple light switches and a, control that light and maybe something from the phone. I have a $30,000, $40,000 budget. Now I'm really starting to see that change. Free wire guys are going crazy putting this stuff in. The technology itself has shifted. We're not having to pre-wire this as This is going to hurt us as The amount of money my clients spent in the past pre-wiring their homes for the smart home, only to find out 10 years later, even less than that, all that wire that's in the wall it's is all garbage. Obsolete. It's all obsolete. Yeah. The technology has changed, though. We don't need to pre-wire yeah, The problem anymore. is these clients are signing off on $100,000 for home automation, and then that money's got to come out of somewhere. So now you're going to go back to the building envelope. You're going to go back to the framing, the foundation, and they're going to start dipping little amounts out of every single one of those line items to compensate for that line item of home automation. I would normally, I would agree with you because I think that's how most contractors do it. But I believe, I'm not sure about Frank's position, but I believe it's positioned the same. That's something when they come in here, we tell them, this is not in your budget as it stands. This yeah. is something new. You decided that you wanted to take what we were offering and add a big thing to the side of it. You're going to need to. Yeah, you've taken your contingency money and turned it into your home automation line, and now you need to find another contingency line. Well, generally, clients that he's talk, the Sonny's talking about, money isn't an issue. And there are a lot of clients who have a lot of money to spend, so to drop 150 grand 
on a home entertainment room for them is pocket change. I haven't, so I haven't met a client a like that yet. I haven't. I, money's always an issue. Money's always. It may uh, be an issue, but they still have it. No, no, I, I agree with you. The yeah. money's always there. It's just a matter of where is it going to go. Personally, I'll never let the building suffer for something aesthetic. I believe I was telling you about this job. It was a house built in 1887 in Brampton where we had to underpin the basement. It was a full reno. They wanted to keep whole components of the home unmodified, but we had to change the heating. We had to put in forced air. We had to put in air conditioning. We had to reduce a lot of electrical. The plumbing system had to come out because the way that it was specced wouldn't work for the client's lifestyle. These are all important things. Their original budget was 70000 and in that was supposed to be a kitchen, two bathrooms, and some hardwood. Wow. Which was good, because the house isn't large. They ended up at over 210 and I believe that. That's yeah. because we, re we moved the bathrooms around. We had to underpin, and when we underpinned, we had to redo the whole entire water collection system, right? Yeah. Because our underpinning was three and a half feet. Oh, that's deep. As you know, we were over four and a half feet on our excavation. All the waterproofing had to change. You're hitting water table at that point? Or you didn't hit it? Particular house was sitting in literally a clay pot. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So any water that collected in it stayed in it. Yeah. It was a pool. And That's Ontario. It's all clay. You run into that almost everywhere. Mind you, the home itself was the original founder of Brampton Brick. His factory used to be just behind his home in the good old days. The reason it was there is because it was clay that was easy to pull I, When I heard about yeah. that, I was amazed that we had it in our backyard. I was like, this is great. We can use this to make bricks. It's yeah. shitty to build a house, but it's great for yeah. making bricks. I, I yeah. have more complaints about the Brampton clay brick that they used to advertise being so great on my show. People are calling me constantly. My bricks are spalling like crazy. My house is 20, 30 years old. And the bricks are all deteriorated. What kind of brick do you have? Clay? Well, you want to rebrick your whole house or you just pay a masonry to come in every five, 10 years and replace and fix your bricks. Not much else you can do. When we took that house apart, we removed a, a ton of, of clay and clay brick just to get down to the right level. That particular house had a stone boulder foundation. So when we had to go down the, the four and a half feet to get our, our proper height requirement, we had to pour a, a bench foot and we underpinned with a, a, a slight bench just so that we made sure that that boulder didn't move. Once it was all said and done, the client was looking at me. Well, you said it was maybe going to be 50 grand and we're at 70. And I said, well, these are the seven issues we hit. And I informed you throughout the whole entire process. Their complaint was on the surface because they knew why they were just venting because their whole entire project went over budget, but they kept expanding the because scope of the Because underpinning is not pretty to look at. It's no. not the countertop. It's not the plumbing no. fixtures. But when we did it, it was done right with the waterproofing. That basement is still currently As a builder, unfinished. you were proud of it. You were proud of the work, and you know that this structure is going to stay a very, very long time. Plus, you got a really high basement now. It's, it's bone dry yeah. to this day. It's been yeah. a year and a half. It's been exposed. The house is finished. They're living in it. 100 plus years ago, people weren't using the basements to live in. They no. were just storing it. They were it. never designed for well, I think North America is very, or I should say Canada is very unique. You go to the States and most of the builders don't, don't have basements. basements there either. No. But one of the reasons why I got a working in Toronto was for what Sonny was just mentioning, because all the homes we had the field rubble type foundations. Yeah. By the time you fixed their water leaks and got rid of the old lead plumbing and everything else... The that's in there they had no money left to renovate so fine i'm working in the suburbs and you may get the odd foundation where you got some cracks that you got to fix but people have more disposable income to pay for the bling than someone who's renovating an old house in the city yeah there's no way around it when you touch one of those old houses you double your budget that house every time we open something up there was another problem. But and clients we, can't point the finger at you because of this. This is your house. You chose it. We're just discovering the problem and we're not supermen. 
So we can't see behind things. So we have to discover the problem. And now that problem became your problem. My salvation has always been transparency. Just yeah. like, just like yes, Frank. Definitely. This is what it is. This is how it works. This is what we're doing. We're going through this element by element. And I'm going to tour you through this job site continuously so that you understand why I went where I went. So that you're not hitting a point at which something becomes a surprise. I went with them through the shopping. Now, that was a job that I just project managed with them. I went with them through the shopping. I went with them through all the product selections. I helped them. I helped them do the interior design work. I did a lot of the pre-architectural work. So I did a lot of the structural drawings before sending them out to uh, a structural engineer just to get, it was a cost-saving measure, just to make sure that I had my hands into every element of that project so that at any point if a question came up, you could there answer. was a single point of reference yeah. to go back to. But how did your clients feel when you went when they went from 70 to 200k? Other than that one continuous complaint that I got, they still cut the check. They knew what they were doing. We had to put a hold on the project because they went over budget and they had to secure more funding. Three, four months, and then we were back at it. They moved in about a year ago. They're really happy with their home. I stalked to them all the time. So they were realistic about things. That's all it was. But it was about managing. It was yeah. managing that expectation. Yeah. It was about giving them a single point reference. It was about them knowing that this guy is in here. He's doing the job, and he's telling us every time a problem comes up. And I had bought a house that had a lot of problems because it was built in you know the 1800s. That's just the nature of it. It's the contractor that doesn't manage the expectation that ends up in the. You said it was twenty five thousand. Now you're handing me a bill for fifty. Well, yeah, we had this problem, then that problem, then this problem. But you never told me. I would have made a different decision. But you've got the clients that are constantly asking you for things. Like, here it is. You presented another idea. You presented another product. We love it. We want it. Let's go with it. Son, keep on asking, 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 asking. I keep. I go back to the grocery sh shopping cart. You went in for one item and you came out with a cart full of stuff. I mean, gone are the days that you pay 20 bucks for groceries for the week there's 200 bucks for the week now that's the costco effect right yeah you pull a card yeah. i'm only giving so in how for can one clients item? all of a sudden turn around on you and point the finger going you should have told us no you kept on asking for all these extra little pieces well a lot of it has to do with the contractors themselves because and i usually tell people when they're shopping for a contractor the price is the last thing you look at Person. whoever you're hiring you've got to interview them are they paying attention are they listening to you are they giving you well-informed are they educated and if they sort of tick off all those checks and then the price is what you can afford fine but there are too many people they get someone come in there they don't listen the contractor isn't listening to them and they're not listening to the contractor assuming he says anything some just come in look at it and they scribble a price on the back of a business card they like the number and they hire them it's no wonder they get ripped off. It's, yeah. They get exactly what they deserve. They're yeah. not, the clients aren't doing their homework. And for a house like Sonny's done, I'm sure when he goes in there, he probably told them, this is what you may want to spend, but the potential could be a lot more of this because of the age of your house, the condition of it. These things have to be fixed first. A contractor isn't telling their client that, and then they hire them. You feel sorry for them, but they've gotten what they asked for, which yeah. was a lousy job. It's the reality. If you don't manage that expectation, if you don't educate your client, and if you're not communicating consistently, you become that contractor, the one who's changing his magnets every six weeks because yeah, he screwed yeah. up another job. If you're going through the process and you're educating your client, there's a lot of questions. There's been, it's been a long time, and I look like it, it's been a long time since I swung a hammer. And the, the nature of it is because I have to field the client more often than I could ever swing a hammer anymore. You're going through that process, you're talking to the client more than you're physically working, Hopefully your trades are there and they're well managed. But that process in itself keeps the client on the right side of, of the knowledge so they know what's happening. They know why they got there. It was an evolutionary process, not today we're here and tomorrow we're, we're $100,000 from here and how did we get there? 
you saw the process through every step. You can complain about it. The complaint itself has no teeth, no weight to it. Yeah. It's venting. Big part of being a, in the construction trade is being a marriage counselor. I mean, I, I learned yeah, that. Big time. 18 years old, first We're thing psychologists. I'm doing is, It's just yeah. that we, you have to read people and understand people and get along. But they also have to respect us as what we do and, and what we're doing and, and what we're bringing to the table as well, right? So the other thing, <laughs> the other thing I tell a lot of my clients, because you know, you say about marital things going on with the husband and the wife and the things that people will fight over is just with what's going on in the world, this is unbelievable. By the end of the day, I look at the husband and I say, happy wife, happy life. You follow that rule and this whole project will go along a lot simpler because 90% of the women are controlling what goes on in the renovation project. And there are so many contractors that ignore the wife, only talk to the husband when they're having meetings, they don't pay attention to her, and it's the biggest mistake you can make. That's when jobs really go I've south never done quickly. that. I've never pick or chosen one or the other. What you I, shouldn't. What I don't like is when you get a couple that is not on the same page. Well, they never are. They never, ever. Right? Never so he are. wants one thing, she wants another thing, and they basically want you to build two different houses on the same lot. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I find the wife is going to win. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's in terms of the battle. True. What's the worst thing in the construction life right now? Like the traffic. The tra yeah, Toronto's traffic is just insane. Every year, my it working territory worse. shrinks. I, I used to work all across Ontario 50 years ago. I would go anywhere. Last year, for the first time, I had to cut off Toronto 100% just because I just can't get, it was taking me an hour and a half to two hours to get to a job site. My lead hand carpenter who comes in from Acton was begging me, because I'm in Mississauga, no more Toronto jobs, please. Or, or if I've got to pick up supplies or materials. You spend half your day in your vehicle, in vehicle. which means we're not, we're not cabbies, we're not Uber, so we're not being no. paid for time in our vehicles. The you you, you must see the same thing, Sonny. Like, you're delivering product and you're getting stuck in traffic. Our delivery process has changed just because of this. I'm going to five trucks, one in each location, so we can do short haul deliveries site to site rather than doing one ranges with one truck. Got it. Just so that we can eliminate that component because my driver can start driving at 10 instead of at seven. And we can have kind of a, a floater that works in each store that does a little bit of everything. So if we need a delivery, we can send four deliveries out per location instead of eight per day. The biggest reason is because of the traffic. Uh, our contractors, screw it, I'm not coming in. I, I can't, I, you're all the way over there. My job is all the way over here. I'm not driving from downtown Toronto to, to They're Sherway. doing the math. They're going, it's going to take me X amount of time to get to you. It's going to take me X amount of time to get to the job site. And I'm going to lose my day. It's six hours. Yeah. An hour and a half to go. Then you're here. Then something comes up. Then you pick up. Then you finally get back. You're, you've lost your momentum. By the time you're starting to swing the hammer again, the day is over. Our, our delivery process is changing just because of that. So that our people can call and say, hey, I need to get something. I forgot to pick it up. What can we do? No problem. I'll have it there in X number of hours today or tomorrow morning. You don't need to worry about it. Because the traffic issue in the city is, is, is it's horrible. Like, it's brutal. I live it in Brampton brutal. coming to here. At certain times of the day, is 21 minutes. At other times in the day, it's 90 minutes. Contractor friend of mine gave me a, a great suggestion, which I thought was really good, but it will never happen. Never. Uh, he felt that the HOV lane should be open to contractors. <laughs> I love you know, that. that's not a bad idea. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. But uh, the problem is that not most contractors, they don't carpool. That's the thing about it, right? So they have one vehicle coming in. 
at one time. I think that lane should be open to any kind of, not just I, contractor, uh-huh. but service, service, any type of trade. Service well, industry. Except if you look at the HOV lanes now, they're plug solid too. They're I getting worse too know, as well. Because I go up to QEW, and even, mind you, 410 isn't as bad, but I know the QEW, that HOV lane's a joke because it's, I find the slow lane is usually the lane that no one's in. Everyone's in the HOV lane or the express lanes, and I whip up the slow lane and pass everybody. Well, the reality is that we have a lot of traffic here because our infrastructure isn't set up properly, so these roadways are not. I've been to cities that are far greater, bigger, that run better, and they run better for a reason. So if we actually built the infrastructure to run better, then it would work. And it also, majority of people that are on the roadway are not service people. So if they're not service people, they're not really in a hurry to get to their occupation. So they're taking their sweet time and they're being distracted. And then they get to their occupation and they just do their day. But we're on the roadways because we need to get the suppliers. We need to get to other trades. We need to get to everything. So it costs us time and money. It costs us our day. And we're paid by the day. If we're not working, we're not being paid. Them, everybody else, the majority of people on the road, they have a salary that comes in. When they show up, they show up. They leave when they need to leave. Any of the professional trades, they're in a position where, shit, something went wrong. Now I got to go deal with it. I got to leave Scarborough to go to Etobicoke. And it's the only way I can deal with it. But they're doing that math in their head. They're going, by the time I drive 30 kilometers that way, I've lost half my day. The only alternative now was the 407. And I was using it a lot until I realized my 407 monthly bills were like mortgage payments. And it's now insane. I've, it's, <laughs> it's and they insane. just raised their prices. So yeah, and I, I, I felt that one. I've, delivery I've had the joke about doing an image of me at a bus stop with all of my power tools beside me and trying to load it up on the bike rack in the front of the bus <laughs> because people think that contractors should take the bus or something like that and be more green. And I'm like, how are you supposed to do that if you've got a bunch of tools and a bunch of gear and a bunch of equipment or material? You just see a bus ttc bus with 10 sheets of plywood or yeah, drywall you, you on can't, the bike you rack. can't i would love to photoshop <laughs> that and post it and go not everyone can use public yeah. transit that you know would what? be a, a good a, thing to a do a pickup truck or a sprinter or a transit is a much better vehicle for a contractor and it contrary to popular belief the green aspect you get a lot more stuff transported in one of those than if i sent a, a five-ton truck out. of course you can shrink the size of the vehicle and a lot of people don't understand that going to a pickup truck or, or you know a, a multi-use van saves a five ton coming out saves a semi coming out. Is that what you're doing here? You've got smaller vehicles that are bringing. We're shorter. transitioning yeah. everything from large vehicles to smaller vehicles. The large vehicles are only going to be used for heavy deliveries, mm-hmm. tile, like because we're getting tile deliveries, two three skits going out. You can't put those into a van, or they're going to be used mostly for. Um, transit so we're transferring product from location to location in circular routes just because those trucks are always full a lot of deliveries don't go out that way one skid it only fits into a corner one bathroom only fits into a corner in one of these trucks and you're delivering this stuff taking up the space of this massive truck with only one little delivery in it and that's the nature of it when you switch to a smaller vehicle you're lighter on gas you're faster you're not occupying as much lane space you're not a visual distraction your road options are greater well, cheaper maintenance. It's cheaper maintenance. Yeah. It's easier to do, and, and you're helping the traffic problem because a five-ton truck, a cube van, they don't go, they don't move it's as very nimble as a... Yeah. Oh, no. They do no. when I drive them. Well, we can't, <laughs> you we can't see me behind the wheel of my cube van. <laughs> if you've ever seen me drive the Hino, it, yeah. it's, it's, you're right, but 
I'm so not allowed to let my drivers do that. I've got I've got like one more bone to pick because we're just past an hour now talking okay. about like I I know the three of us could talk for days about construction, right? I want to pick on the TV shows. Okay, where do we start? Who do we pick on first? Would the I world you be? Said this is, we only have a little bit of time left. <laughs> that might turn That's into right. an hour or something. Podcast. But would would the industry be better if they didn't exist at all? I would no. say 50-50. 50-50. They've done a lot to get people into the mood and to renovate because this, I think, is partially what's caused this huge explosion of people doing what they're doing. But they've lied to people. All right. Well, that's the other 50%. Yeah. They've got people away to do something, but now they've, they've educated people improperly in terms of how to do it and what it's going to cost. The, the TV shows are kind of like the environmental movement. A lot of people in, in both movements, they lie, they don't tell the truth. It, 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 it's, there's bullshit on both sides. But they put a spotlight on something. Most people will take that spotlight and get something from it and, and expand. I don't believe our industry is, is worse off with them. I believe it's caused us more problems, but I believe the industry as a whole is probably better. You've put the spotlight on renovation. You've put the spotlight on watching out for bad things. You've put the spotlight on structure ahead of aesthetic. You've put the spotlight on maybe this 1952 house that I live in should be updated. You've put the spotlight on modern technology in, in, in construction. You've put the spotlight on, hey, this is the old way of doing it and this is why it's better. You've, you've given someone information to start a journey. Without those TV shows, we would still be back in the 80s. Those, those are valid points. Those I think really... it's also inspired some of the younger generation to get into the business where they wouldn't even have thought about oh, before. Oh, wow. There's another bone that I have to pick, man. I know. <laughs> I just like, I, I could, well, I, I've met dozens of young guys. Mm -hmm. I haven't met a woman yet, uh, like the, let's just say for whatever it is, millennials, right? That are lazy and I've met 2% that are amazing. Just amazing. Okay, I'm going to use my age here. When I started my company, I was 15, 16. And the reason why I was able to do it, because all the adults were saying the same thing. This younger generation, they're lazy. We can't get anyone to show up to do anything. And because I was motivated, I may have been the 2% then. I was busy like you wouldn't believe and just kept growing and growing. I and just growing. find the 98% is more interested in your job as a GC than they are as a laborer to learn about the whole rope and get the job done. Mm -hmm hard to say I don't our know. industry is vicious though it spits those people right back out it does and but then they just go to a different segment of it until they find one that's i guess works for their laziness i guess i have a lot of my clients kids who have watched us when they were seven eight nine ten renovating their houses when they've gotten to the university stage i've had three or four now who've gone into the business full-time just from watching us they were so nice. inspired and i've seen what they do it's mind-blowing my nephew uh decided after watching his uncle frank and helping him for all decide to become an architect he's now designing half a billion dollar shopping plazas in wow. Australia. My bank manager's son used to sit on the steps watching me finish his basement. He was 10, 11. He loved the business and became a custom furniture maker, making stuff that you'd see in the art shop. So and for as many of those, how many are not? Like, I mean, I, that, that's that's great that I'm hearing that, but mm -hmm. how many have you seen other people that have paid attention to you and didn't get into that and they got into something else? They had no interest in getting their hands dirty. Well, that's the 98%, right? Is yeah. it 98% or I, I don't, I, it's I just, don't know. these are just numbers. I'm yeah. just throwing out sure. there. Sure, 
I have no idea. I'm just saying that the large majority of them don't mm -hmm. want nothing to do with getting their hands dirty. My biggest problem is what I hear is a lot of them in their 20s have been talking about it's kind of reflective of their dating scenario. So they feel that if they meet somebody, a significant other, and they ask them, what do you do for a living? And the idea of I'm a contractor or I'm a subcontractor, I'm a laborer, I drive a van is not that attractive looking. I'm not interested in being with you. So then all of a sudden they're looking for somebody else. That's more the parents sometimes they'll have this thing. They have the expectations oh, lots of, bones of their of kids. Poker. Now it's like the you know, parent generation. You know what? I, I learned about construction standing literally in between my dad's knees. My dad's not a contractor by any stretch. He's been an entrepreneur his whole entire life. But everything about construction, I learned literally standing in between his knees. And that caused me on a, a journey that brought me to where I am today. Standing, you want to rephrase that? Well, I was like three years old. Oh, okay, that's, that's, no, I, would, I wouldn't want to go to school standing between your father's knees. No. I, mean, I can think of a better position to be in. I was three years old. I literally fit he in. He was in his dad's presence and oh, his okay, dad was better. doing some oh, work okay. and he was uh, blown away by the work. He was just like, that's fascinating. I to want me, to know how to figure it out. construction is art. It's yeah. no different. Yeah, it's, you see the yeah. pictures on my wall or the things that I build, it's art. To me, construction's not a job. To me, construction is a career. To me, I could argue with anybody that you being an IT person, you figuring out gaming, you figuring out the next app, you being a lawyer, you being a doctor, it's still a career. They're all careers. Don't yes. tell me that mm -hmm. it's a fallback job. It's, don't tell me that, oh, you didn't cut it in school and your parents paid for all this education, but you couldn't make it and you're not making the money you want to be making, so you got into construction. It's not a fallback job. To me, construction is a career. And the moment that the majority of people in construction look at it as a career, they will take much more pride and they will want to build a brand and they will want to back their words. And then all of a sudden they are a professional now. And I can't even argue with that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's to me, that's how it is. So it's, the, it's the 98% or whatever. It's the other guys that are thinking, Nope, I want to be making a shitload more money doing it or something else other than that. But we have to think about these big corporations in our city, other cities, Ellis Don's and Minkins and Mattamy and all this other stuff. They all started as renovators. They all started as laborers. They all started somewhere swinging a hammer. Yep. And these are big, multi-million, multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. companies yep. from construction. So until these kids get that mindset that it's a career and not a job, we can't keep on contributing to it. I teach my kids to get their hands dirty. We were talking about this yeah, before. Yeah, we were totally talking about I this. I have a, a car that we're working on with my kids. They get covered in grease. It's horrible to clean up after. But they're used to getting dirty. And whether, whatever they become later in life, that element is always going to stay with them because as I was a kid, that's what I learned from my father. I believe there's always going to be a certain percentage of the population that really doesn't take to education or doesn't take to this whole entire notion. The formal of, way of... Yeah, of, of being a, a professional. Not a trade because they're professionals, but uh, some form of certified doctorate level person. I don't believe that's ever going to change because I, I know for a fact that where we come from on the contractor side... It's a form of artistry. It's a different portion of our brain that we function with. Doctors use a different component of their brain. Yep. Architects use a different component of Left their brain. Left brain, right brain. And yep. while the generations might be lazy, they're always lazy. You know, I, I wasn't allowed to be that lazy. That was refreshing kid, to hear from Frank saying that back in your day, yeah. that your parents were saying that they were lazy. Well, it's, it's like the music argument. Oh, this generation's music sucks. Well, that, every generation says that about the next one. The laziness, I think, over time... This generation's music does suck, though. A lot of it does. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not even going to argue with that. <laughs> um, it's a rehash of what was good. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. But I think that a lot of those people, though, they, they come around out of force. Sometimes it's a need-based thing. 
sometimes like when I was growing up, it became inspiring. In Frank's case, he's talking about people he's inspired. In other people's cases, it's my doctorate didn't work out. Now I need a job and I got a job swinging a hammer and wait, you know, I'm kind of good at this. Our education system doesn't prepare you to actually go to where you're, where you're good. It prepares you to be something that you might not actually end up wanting to yep. be or something that doesn't suit you. Probably why depression is a, a major problem nowadays, but. My mother wanted me to be a proctologist. She always told me there were a lot of openings, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I found out it wasn't all it was cracked up. But occasionally, so construction. <laughs> but occasionally in construction, you still deal with a few assholes, don't oh, you? Oh, big time. Well, yeah, that's what I thought, so. I'm known for, actually it's funny because I'm known for t working on toilets and stuff all the time, so I don't know. There is a connection there. Somehow yeah, there's somehow. a roundabout you got to proctology. There you go. Proctology um, in a different light. Exactly. How do we want to wrap this up? Because I know there's more that we can talk about, but how do we want to wrap this up? Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> Two cents to share yep. from all of us. This industry is changing. It's huge. And the transition. Embrace the change. Embrace it's, it. Add to it. Changing to a, a completely different light. There's a completely different light being shone on it. I, I believe that we're going into artistry as opposed to being a trade. I don't necessarily think that the negative element of being a, a trade is going to be as big of a stigma as it once was because we're it was we're, bad on the yeah, 80s 80s yeah. and 90s it was bad it uh, was you want to know what the worst was a plumber right who wants to work who wants to be a plumber that's not the pipe that i want to be dealing with no no but i think that stigma itself is changing because i believe the artistry of our industry is coming out and i i truly pin that on the tv shows which is why i say it was a they great started it's more, it's more yeah. glamorous now it is it's a yeah. fashion industry now you can look at it it's you have an expensive phone i have an expensive car i have an expensive watch and it's starting to get to the point where i have a beautiful home i yeah. just have a flip phone <laughs> you still need email i'm gonna teach no you email no day. computers there's lots of people who don't do i'll emails. tell you something quickly here probably going back about 20 years ago i was at one of the meetings at the home Builders association because i've been involved with now known as Build, the Greater Toronto Home Builders Association. And we had someone giving us a seminar about, this is when the computers were coming in and said, you're not gonna succeed in this business unless you're computer literate. I do have a left brain, right brain problem, which is why I don't have a computer and people can't seem to accept that as an answer. There was no way I will ever have one or figure them out. So I figured construction's probably the only job I can think of where you can be successful without a computer. I couldn't get a job at McDonald's because they have all this computerized cash registers. That motivated me probably almost more than anything else to be even better than I was to succeed because I knew if I failed, I'd be screwed. I'd have nothing else I could do. But they're doing interesting things now with computers on construction sites. Yeah, but I can That's still what I do what it. everybody else is doing True. and is good, if not better, without it. True. And if I need something on the computer, all my clients have them. I say, I need something from the computer or some information. They look it up for me and I don't need it. We print it for him. He comes in here, I need some specs. Right. Can you please give them to me? No problem, Frank. Here it is. Here's your whole entire package I of specs. The best are the pictures you give me off the computer, though. Oh, those are the best. Yeah. I, I would really like to see clients have more realistic expectations. That's it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. You I don't just know pick if it's clients. Yeah, it's still hard. Even the ones that you think are the best can still turn on you and not understand. And all of a sudden, you have a bad client. So it's just, I want them to have more realistic expectations and respect to what we do for a living 
because we just don't punch in the clock and show up nine to five. Yeah. You know, we, we, we do a lot of homework outside of those hours. We do a lot of pickups and deliveries and conversations dealing with suppliers and dealing with everybody. And they don't respect any of that stuff. They just figure that when you're there, that's when the clock is starting. But it's not the case. When you're a small time business owner, you're running a construction business. You are doing a lot of homework outside of those it's hours. It's like on five site. in the morning till sometimes eight in yeah. the evening, six, yeah. seven days. A but week. you're not paid for those extra hours. No. I, I just want them to respect and appreciate the effort that you're putting in as a contractor for their home, yeah. their family, their lifestyle. But at the end of the day, Manny, we are the change, right? We can make the change. We can unify. We can teach and inform the client. We can tell them how we have to operate. We can tell them the differences between what we do and what others do. Until someone actually makes a stand and does that, you're not going to have a revolution in the industry. No, no. And that is what our industry is at. It, it needs a revolution. You know, we uh -oh. need a yeah. We need one of those '70s moments where everyone is transitioning. But we're up a, a, a uphill battle here because you have a lot of the fly-by-night magnet guys, cash job contractors, and they'll always compare They've us. They've always been around. And they, they but the will clients be. will always go, "Yeah, I understand your price is X, but I've got another joker here who says he could do it for half as much." And you know what? I don't care because that saves me a lot of money because someone who's going to hire someone like that isn't the client I know and I agree I'm the same same person right we this have to stand with integrity goodbye you go hire them I'll go deal with someone who's gonna what's gonna happen me. when everything goes wrong and now you got to try to find them and get somebody else yeah. right? it's a hard lesson it's always the case you do something you think you're gonna save some money let's do it like this and it fails on you I don't care what element of the of your life you want to apply that to could be buying dishes you don't buy the right I, thing also, and it's not going to function. I've also told clients that it's just if you don't have realistic expectations of what the budget should be for a particular rental and you don't have the funds for it, then you really shouldn't start the rental. Maybe you should wait and or figure out. Or you back off the scope of the project. Yeah. Back off the scope or actually... But the or save more money. Rentals yeah. are like rashes. I mean, once you start with one room, they want to start another room and another room and another room. They, but yeah, they, the rent. numbers don't don't jive with the rooms that they're adding, right? So, and if you're going to pull a trailer, you got a bobcat, you want to tow it, but you think you're going to do it on your F-150 no. because it's a pickup truck and it's got no. a hitch, it's never going to happen. you got to get a bigger truck, preferably something that's designed to handle that weight with a trailer designed to handle that you weight. could do it will it work like that joker who had the two back doors open and he oh, had fence boards sticking out on the highway well they found out because he was stealing from job sites he's been arrested for oh is that what the reason he was arrested for and now theft. you want to be that visual on the highway wow that's amazing well stupid people always get caught <laughs> he does have a flip phone he does. Holy he was cow. A this is too complicated <laughs> people keep texting me on it. I, I said, don't i don't know how they retrieve the damn Ever, my goodness! <laughs> no, my and my flip phone's telling me I'm overdue for a cigarette here. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. That was a great talk. That I really awesome. appreciate it. it. Thanks appreciate so it. much thank for sharing. Thank you very much. And uh, and we'll see what else we can talk about on the next construction. We'll see what we can. folks. Let's see what else we can talk about on the next episode of the Construction Life. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Frank. You're welcome. Thank very you, much. Manny. My pleasure. Frank.